0: Alright, what's up, y'all? Welcome back to the pod. Um, Yeah, second episode in two days. Um, I don't know. I think knowing that I'm releasing a better product is kind of making me want to release more of that product, you know? Because before I knew I was releasing a, a subpar bad product in terms of quality for a podcast. And now, you know, I know that I'm releasing at least a pretty good product or a solid product. That's that's You know, you can listen to it. So maybe y'all will see more podcasts coming out. You probably will. But today I got a couple things to talk about. This actually might end up being a longer-ish episode. Eh, probably an apt episode. Around 25 minutes like usual. But first thing I wanted to discuss is, is I don't know if it's necessarily the misuse of Aaron Naismith, but kind of more of the slow burn that has been Aaron Naismith. And my fear is that the Celtics have, we have a history of getting a lot of late lottery guys. Uh, R.J. Hunter, Romeo Langford, Aaron Naismith, um... Are the first guys to come to the to the top of the head, and not really doing anything with them. I guess when did we pick Ante Zizic? Now he was in the 20s, Same with Gershon. Fun fact: the Celtics passed up on Pascal Siakam twice in the in the in his draft, which is really fun. I think about that all the time, actually. Regardless. Aaron Naismith has had an underwhelming rookie year, to say the least. He has shown improvement. Don't get me wrong. He's he's started to play better. And that's all you want to see is is improvement throughout the rookie year because you have to get used to the pace of the NBA. You have to get used to to the scheduling, especially this year. It's, it's kind of a shell shock. They didn't have a summer league. They didn't really have a training camp. But still, to see Aaron Naismith not shooting as well as I would like to see him shooting and to just see, this is kind of more of a frustration within Brad Stevens that we don't utilize players correctly. I have especially this season, been talking about how we need a Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum pick-and-roll. I think that that would be a phenomenal thing to at least try out, man. A pick-and-roll... Like, Jason Tatum should be the role man on a pick-and-roll with Kemba Walker or Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown could be the role man on a pick-and-roll with Kemba Walker or Jason Tatum. You know? Because the Peyton Pritchard, Robert Williams pick-and-roll is killer. It kills. But... Because, I mean, Jason Tatum and Robert Williams are about the same size. Rob's probably a little heavier, but they're about the same size. But Tatum can shoot at a very high clip accurately. So I would like to see that. You know, I'm I'm frustrated with the way our offense is run because it's so Bernard sometimes. It's a lot of iso ball, especially down the stretch of games. But mainly with Naismith, I want to see more down pins, more off-ball motion for him because... Um, I was reading up to him uh, about him today during class and he was successful in Vanderbilt not because he's a good spot up shooter. Not because he was, you know, just left in the corner and shot 50% from three. It's because they ran plays for him and off moving shots, which is like running, catching, shooting, like some Steph Curry, Clay Thompson stuff. He was extremely efficient and extremely good at it. And... I think for Brad to be able to utilize him at his best is to do that, right? Romeo Langford is someone who is an interesting case because we have completely changed who he was. Romeo coming out of college was a ball handler, he was a playmaker and he was a scorer, and now he's quite literally just a three and d player for us we like we drafted Romeo Langford did we draft Romeo Langford with that in mind because if we did that's a really stupid pick to draft Romeo Langford. Who played guard at Indiana, had the ball in his hands, was a scorer to be a three and D guy for us. That seriously makes me question Danny Ainge and what the hell he's thinking, right? Because Aaron Naismith is a three and D player in this league, but Romeo Langford wasn't. It took us what damn near four years to convert him to that, and now he's starting to contribute. But it was it was a very difficult process, right? Aaron Naismith... Aaron Naismith has has an opportunity here to come in and make an impact right now. And he is, but it's just I know I I watch him play and I'm like, this kid can offer us so much more. I watch him play and I'm like, this kid has a lot of potential, and I think that he can, you know, expand on it if we use him correctly. And that's my problem is that we're not using him correctly. Excuse me. Um but yeah, I I don't know, it's it's very frustrating. But that was just my little rant about the Celtics. I was also going to discuss how the Celtics are, like, very far... Not very far. We are far from a championship. I think we're two pieces and a culture switch away from a championship right now. And I know a lot of my Celtics friends will get on my ass because I think a lot of them think that we are closer to a championship than we are. Like, a couple of them think that we are, like, very close to a championship. I think we're pretty far. And I think it's mainly the culture within the locker room, the culture within the organization right now. Um, But that's, that's a topic for a different day. The first thing I'm going to discuss is my favorite player to watch from each team, because I feel like I say a lot of negative shit on this podcast. So we're going to talk about some positive stuff today. I have the standings in front of me, and I'm just going to kind of go through off the top of my head, think about rosters, and discuss who are my favorite players to watch. We'll start at the top of the East with the Brooklyn Nets. This one's pretty obvious. It's Kyrie Irving, man. Kyrie Irving. He's a guy who I have tried, or when I was, you know, really going hard playing basketball every single day, practicing to try and make travel teams, he was a guy that I molded my game after. The ball handling, the dribble moves, the way that he finesses around the rim, he was a huge inspiration as to why I play basketball, period. I have a plaque of Kyrie Irving in my room. Like, I love Kyrie Irving. And I'm so... I miss him so much, man. I watched the Nets play and I miss him so much as a Celtics fan because to even have him and Kemba Walker in the same conversation was so disrespectful to Kyrie Irving. I realize that now. But yeah, Kyrie for the Nets. For Philly, Philly's difficult because I love, love watching Joel Embiid play. Like I actually, I love watching Joel Embiid play. The way that he's able to draw fouls, the way that he lets you know when he's kicking your ass and the way that he is able to and Joel Embiid's one of those few players in the league, him and Giannis, that will dunk on you and then block your dunk back and let you know the entire time that they're doing it. I mean, Giannis doesn't really let you know. He's not really much of a trash talker, but Joel is, and I love that. He would probably be my favorite player to watch. I'm also a big fan of um the shooters on Philly. Seth Curry, Danny Green, Furcon Korkmaz, even Shake Milton, I wouldn't lump in there. Because when those guys are on, oh my god, they're so fun to watch. When a shooter is just on, like Klay Thompson. It's just, it's ridiculous to watch them play. It's 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 truly a gift to watch some of these players play. For Milwaukee, um, ooh, Rui Hachimura just posterized Anthony Davis. I'll have to watch that clip. For Milwaukee, would it easily have to be Drew Holiday? Drew Holiday is a guy that I've loved for years, but because I didn't know how to legally stream games, I didn't get to see him a lot. <laughs> Um, but the way that Drew Holiday is is one of the best two-way defenders in the, or players in the league in general, like Damian Lillard always says that Drew Holiday is his hardest matchup. Kevin Durant has said that Drew Holiday is the hardest matchup in the league. The way that Drew Holiday gains the respect of his peers while also going out there and getting you buckets is something that I find really entertaining. The series where he was with New Orleans and he was clamping up Dame and CJ and the Pelicans ended up beating the Blazers 6-3 upset... I fell in love with Drew Holiday, and I've been watching him this year in Milwaukee. Oh, my God. Especially, um, I think it was post-trade deadline. Giannis got hurt, and Drew Holiday really started to come into his own. I mean, it was after um, Drew got the virus. Drew came back from the virus and started fucking hooping. And I don't know what it was, because most players play sh- like shit after they come back from the virus. Drew came back, and he was hooping, and it was so fun to watch, you know? His ability to ISO, I think, is one of the most underrated in the NBA, and just his ability to control the game, while not having a huge box score impact, is another reason that I really, really like Drew Holiday. Um, for the Knicks, ooh, this is a tough one. It would be between D Rose and RJ Barrett, because I, I early in the season, early in the season, I watched a lot of Knicks games, and ah, no, I'm going with Julius Randle. I'm gonna go with the obvious pick here. I'm gonna go with Julius Randle actually because early in the season i watched a lot of knicks games and as the season progressed weirdly i stopped watching them i think it was because i was like oh i've already watched a lot of knicks games this year but julius randall has this mid-range jump shot that he he's he's a difficult shot maker right so he's a mid-range jump shot that normally is contested and every time he shoots it i'm like what are you doing and it doesn't even matter. I'll still... If I were to watch a Knicks game tomorrow, in my head, he would shoot it and I would go, what are you doing in my head? And then it would go in and I'm like, damn, Julius Randle's really good, you know? Difficult shot makers are some of the most fun to watch, to watch in the league. And Julius Randle fits into that. He's a guy that I think is... is Not getting the... Rec- simultaneously not getting the recognition he deserves and is also being extremely overrated by Knicks fans. <laughs> It's very interesting when players fall into that category. I think SGA falls into that category. That Thunder fans greatly overrate him. But he's still, in my opinion, under the radar in the league. Um, but yeah, Julius Randle is just... It's just fun to watch him make shots that a guy like him shouldn't make, you know? Because Julius Randle ain't exactly, you know, the most fit dude. He's a little mm, a little pudgy. He's a little big. He, he just doesn't look like... And also the name Julius Randle is a name that has kind of been dragged through the mud the last five or so years. Um, So to see him having successes is kind of a bit off-putting to me as someone who has a very different perception of Julius Randle. I didn't know Julius Randle coming out of college, right? I only knew his NBA form. And his NBA form was always that he's kind of a bum. He's a bad defender. He's kind of a bum. So to see him like this, I guess, is unexpected. A pleasant surprise, you would say. Next up is the Hawks. I'm actually going to skip the Atlanta Hawks because fuck the Atlanta Hawks because their fans are the worst in the league by far, and I hate them so much. So, the Hawks get no attention on this podcast. Next up would be the Celtics. Um, this one's difficult. It's between 52 and fast PP for me. Just because... Um, I guess I would throw Tatum in there too. But Tatum, Tatum pisses me off, man. Because he takes dumb shots all the time. It's just whether or not they're going to fall. But... 52 is really fun to watch he had like shit i think it was f- four threes in a row against the raptors and i think it was game three of that series and we ended up winning i know game two because we lost game three whatever 52 had a moment in the playoffs where he hit a bunch of threes in a row and he gave us momentum and we ended up winning the game i love watching 52 play because when 52 is on it's something else granted when 52 is off it's really stupid and it's really, it's weird, right? When Marcus Smart is on and he's making his shots, mentally he's as sharp as ever. But he always manages to make the dumbest plays ever when he is missing his shots too, so it doesn't help. He always makes he always makes sure to make a bad decision worse, you know what I'm saying? Next up, I mean, but also uh, to discuss uh, Fast PP a little bit would be that he just... He's a guy that you look at and go, he should not be in the NBA. But he's hitting these 30-foot bombs. He looks so cool doing it, a little buzz cut. Like, fast PP looks like he should not be in the NBA at all, but he's killing the game. So it's really fun to watch him when he's on. Um, next up would be Miami. It's Jimmy Butler, man. Bam Adebayo is my favorite player on the Heat, but Jimmy Butler's my favorite player to watch. Hold on. <clears throat> It's close to Duncan Robinson, I think, or even Tyler Hero, too, because these are guys that, Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, when they're on, they're super fun to watch because every shot just goes in when it really shouldn't, and Tyler Hero is that guy that will take the ballsy shot, and Duncan Robinson knows when he's on fire, so he will take the ballsy shot. But Jimmy Butler's just a guy that can take over a game without touching the ball, can take over a game without scoring, but can also put 40 on your head when he wants to. Watching Jimmy Butler throughout that entire playoff run, and more specifically in the NBA Finals, was truly a gift, and and it was it was really entertaining, and I, I love me some Jimmy Butler, man. Um, hmm. this going to take a while. Okay, I'll do. Yeah, okay, we'll continue. I'll try to be quick about it. Charlotte Lamella, uh, no, Charlotte is Miles Bridges. I follow Miles Bridges. Since came out of college, he was kind of a scrub. Lamella helped his development, I think, but having a point guard that can get him the ball also helps. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Indiana, Malcolm Brogdon. I love Malcolm Brogdon. Every time I watch him, I get sad that the Celtics didn't sign him. Um, I don't know. He can do everything. The Wizards. The Wizards is tough because I love Russell Westbrook. I love watching Russell Westbrook. But Bradley Beal is just a professional bucket at the end of the day. But like I, I, we say that about guys like Lou Will or other guys around the league who, are, who their only job is to score. Right? Their only job is to score, but Bradley Beal just does it at such a high level, because Bradley Beal isn't a great playmaker, he's not a great rebounder, he's not a great defender, he's good at all those things, but he's not you know, amazing at anything, except just scoring the fucking ball, and I love him for it. The Bulls, Zach Levine, that's easy. Uh, the Raptors, nobody, because I hate the Raptors. Ah, OG on an I, I was a firm believer, watching him last year in the playoffs, that OG was going to take a big step this year. He hasn't so far, which is fine. I don't think that that's anything necessarily um, concerning. He has gotten better this year, which is all you can ask out of a young player. But I just I like watching OG play, because he will have a couple possessions a game where he puts a good move on someone and makes a shot, or he gets a nice dunk or something like that. Cleveland, I've literally not watched any Cavs games this year, so I could not tell you one player from Cleveland that I like watching. Detroit, I have not watched any Detroit I I've watched Detroit games this year. I guess it would be Jeremy Grant, but I haven't watched enough Detroit games to tell you who my favorite player to watch is. I Same with the Orlando Magic. Off-rip, I would just go with Cole Anthony because Cole Anthony just, and this may be detrimental to his career in the long run, he has no regard for his body. Like, he'll just throw himself at the hoop when he wants to score. And it's really just entertaining to watch at the end of the day. Cole Anthony's a very entertaining scorer for me to watch. We'll start at the bottom of the West. Houston is KPJ easily. I was watching him the other night. He wasn't really making a shot, but he made, like, this three-pointer from the logo. The game was over, but he made a three-pointer from the logo. It was really funny. KPJ is really fun to watch. Minnesota, I still got to go with my man d I have his jersey for a reason. I love watching D'Lo play. When he is on, he's willing to take the ball as he shot, and I love it. Okay, see, Lou Dort, man. Lou Dort is so fun to play, to watch. I love watching two-way players because they'll hit a stupid contested three in your face and then clamp you up the next possession, get that steal, get a layup. Man, I love watching Lou Dort play. It's And it's it's fun for me, at least, because he came out of nowhere. I was watching the Game 7 where he had, like, 35 And to see him capitalize on that this year is really awesome and promising for Thunder fans. Sacramento, it has to be Buddy Heald. Uh, Not Buddy Heald, sorry, excuse me. It has to be De'Aaron Fox. Uh, De'Aaron Fox had a couple weeks where he was just dropping 40 bombs every other night. And I was watching a lot of Kings games at that point in the year. I guess I was just lucky to turn on a Kings game. And uh, I tend to watch West Coast teams. Weirdly, I watch West Coast teams more because I'm on PlayStation at night, so I just throw on the Warriors game, or I throw on the Kings game, or I throw on the Blazers game. So I'm, I watched a lot of Darren Fox the couple weeks that he was tearing it up, and that was really fun. Pelicans is difficult because I love watching Zion, and I love watching the bully ball, but the finesse that Brandon Ingram brings to the game is also really enjoyable to watch. Brandon Ingram is one of the silkiest jump shots in the league, and one of the most satisfying jump shots to watch go in. But I think I'm going to go with Zion, just because Zion's another guy that doesn't necessarily look like he should be dominating the NBA. He's kind of fat, you know, but he kind of just uses that to his advantage. Um, He's like fat and short, but he still kills it, and it's just really fun to watch. Warrior Steph Curry, do I need to say more? Uh, Spurs, I haven't watched enough Spurs game. I would say DeMar DeRozan, but I haven't watched a ton of Spurs games this year. Memphis John Morant, I don't need to say anything about that. Portland Damian Lillard, I don't need to say anything about that. Dallas Luka Doncic, I don't need to say anything about that. Lakers, it's LeBron man. I ain't gotta say shit about that. The Nuggets, it's Jokic. I do not have to say anything. it. Might be Michael Porter Jr. because Michael Porter Jr. is another one of those players that just makes bullshit shots. That he makes the shots that you that if he were to miss, you would be like that's a really stupid shot. But since it goes in, it's no longer a stupid shot. Even though that goes against my personal ideology. Um, Clippers. Clippers is difficult. Hold on. I don't know why I've been drinking a lot of water during this podcast. I think it's because I have a headache. But I don't know. Also, ooh, quick, quick, before... Actually, I'll do it in between segments. I'm on. Clippers. It would have to be Kawhi just because of the finals run. It would be Paul George. Because I love Paul George. I'm a huge fan of Paul George. But, man, way off P is too funny to... Uh, to not acknowledge and to act like it doesn't exist. And, and I just think, I, I can't put Paul George above Kawhi Leonard in terms of pure entertainment, because Kawhi is one of, like, I know I've said about um Drew Holiday, Lou Dort, a couple of these guys, 52 even, that they'll clamp you up and they'll hit a three in your face. Nah, Kawhi Leonard will do that, though, on a different level. He will take your manhood from you on both ends of the court. And he's one of the few players in the league that can do so. Joel Embiid's the other guy, I would say. Those are the two guys in the league that can just take your manhood away from you on both ends of the court. Phoenix, it has to be Chris Paul. Chris Paul, like, I think the Knicks game was a perfect example of why Chris Paul is my favorite player to watch on the Suns, because he just makes he just makes the dumbest shots in the world. Like that that last play that iced the game that Julius Randle was defending him, he had no but he dropped the ball. He literally lost the ball and just threw it up and it went in. And that makes me also think about there's a shot. There was a shot in, I think it was game four or five of the 2018 Western Conference Finals, where it's late shot clock. Curry perfectly contests CP. He makes a bullshit three. And then he shimmies on Steph as he walks down the court. Everybody's seen the clip because Steph's just smiling because he knows that's bullshit. And I love Chris Paul for that because he will torch you in late game and then let you know that he's torching you. Like, Chris Paul is just so fun to watch for me. And lastly would be the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, easily. His playoff marries, uh, playoff battles with Jamal Murray last year were so fun. I remember um, sitting in my living room watching game one of Nuggets Jazz, and just literally watching Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell go back and forth, literally shot for shot. I was watching it with my dad, who doesn't even like basketball, and he was like, holy shit, he was going crazy too. And I remember after that game ended, um, through the wire, was doing a post-game reaction live, and so I threw in the AirPods, and I went out to my driveway, and I started just Recreating all the shots that I had just seen and listening to that and reacting to it, it was it was it was really fun. Now the next thing on the docket is going to be uh, just so you all know. First of all, a couple of things. I'm ending this with Nets talk, and I'm going to talk about a couple in depth things with the Brooklyn Nets, specifically legacies and specifically the outlook of the Brooklyn Nets. Also, a quick shout out to my boys Fries and Will because Will brought me my food today for dinner. It was gas. I got a calzone, so shout out to them. Um, but next up, I wanted to talk about, and this will only really cover teams that aren't in the plan, the future outlook for franchises. Now I'm probably going to end up doing this for playoff teams too, which would be the 10 seeds and up, but because this podcast is already kind of running long and I need to go do some things, <laughs> I'm just going to talk about the bottom teams, right? So we'll start off in the West because started starting in the East for the last segment, the Pelicans. The future outlook, to put it shortly, is very good. I think you move a couple pieces on the roster, maybe get a new coach in there, and you are looking at a title contender, in my opinion. Eh, a couple years down the road. Let Zion develop a B.I. develop a little bit more. Let Josh Hart and Lonzo Ball fill out their roles a little bit better, and you have damn near uh, a title contender on your hands. You know, something special is brewing down in New Orleans. I'm a firm believer of that. Sacramento. Sacramento's um a lot in the same position as New Orleans, but the the it's just easier. First of all, maybe move the franchise. I don't know. It seems like Sacramento is cursed. I don't know, sell the team. But my first piece of advice would be fire the coach. Fire the coach and try to get better depth, right? Because it seems like the Kings have five or six good players on their team, and then it's like a significant drop-off. It's like Reese De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Healed, Harrison Barnes, Rashawn Holmes, and then like Yogi Ferrell. So don't get me wrong, Yogi Ferrell's cool and all, but he, he ain't a guy that you really want coming off your bench if you're trying to make a run. But the Kings and the Pelicans are two teams that should be better than they are. So I don't have much to say about their future outlook. OKC. OKC is very interesting because I think they have an extremely high ceiling with guys like Poku, Lou Dort, and Shea. Even Moses Brown, like, they have young players that are very underrated because they're in OKC. But their entire future is relying on their ability to draft. And it's both a good thing and a risky thing, right? It's good that the OKC, I think, have 17 first-round picks in the next 10 drafts. or It's something stupid like that. It's something crazy like that. That's great and all. But, oh my God. All right. One of my friends is complaining in the group chat right now about the game that I'm not watching. Let's go. Um, it's good because you obviously have a lot of draft assets that you could turn into a superstar player once one of them becomes disgruntled. You know, Cat might be on the market in a couple weeks. Not a couple weeks, a couple of years. Um, but it's also reliant on you being able to hit on your draft picks. You know, we've seen teams be in the lottery year after year because they can't hit it on their draft picks. <laughs> Sacramento, <laughs> you know. So, and and Sam Presti actually has a pretty good draft record. Um, he drafted Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Serge Ibaka, Stephen Adams. It seems that he can hit on his high draft picks. You know, they haven't had a ton of success late in the draft, which is fine. You're you don't have to hit on your late picks. But actually, I don't know if that's necessarily true, right? They drafted Demontis Sabonis, if I'm not mistaken. And then he went on to become an all-star. They just never really gave him the opportunity. So maybe I'm tripping. But OKC has a pretty good draft record in the past. And even if even if I'm right about the late picks not being hits, Sam Presti hits on his lottery picks. And that's what matters is hitting on your big-time, high-value picks. So I'm not really worried about the Thunder. Minnesota, I am worried about. Right? Minnesota is playing a lot better now. They're no longer the worst team in the league. They've turned it around. Cat, D'Lo, and Anthony Edwards look good together. And I saw a Twitter thread today that was talking about casual takes that annoy you when you see them. And someone said that Cat is a, a, a bad defender. And someone said, at, at worst, he's a net defender and that he gets more slander than necessary. So I started looking at some stats, and and they're right. Cat right? has improved defensively. He is a net defender. But I still think that this Minnesota team has a very low ceiling in terms of contention just simply because... Their core is three ball-dominant scorers, for the most part, that don't play a lot of defense. And I don't think that that is highly sustainable in terms of a championship. Right? You can't... I don't think you can have three guys, especially guys that aren't of super... Alright, okay. So, um, that last thing that y'all just listened to about me talking about the T-Wolves, I was like... Half hour ago, 45 minutes ago, because my friend Sean just FaceTimed me and interrupted everything. But like I was saying, innately I think the Timberwolves have a very low ceiling because D'Angelo Russell, Anthony Edwards, and Carl Anthony Towns are a core that are not great defenders. And you can point at different championship teams throughout history and talk about how well their big three wasn't great defenders. I think the 2016 Cavs are a great example. About how LeBron is a good defender but not a great defender. Kyrie's not a good a uh, great defender and Kevin Love was a, he was good he was apt but he wasn't anything real special. And I think that I would counter that by saying well they had LeBron James and Kyrie Irving two top 5 players at their position LeBron at the time and in my opinion still is the best player in the league. Um and Karl Anthony Towns although he is great and is top 5 at his position he's you know 3 or 4 and then D'Angelo Russell's not top five at his position. Anthony Edwards is not top five at his position. Like, they don't have... Their players aren't good enough to mask their negatives, and their players aren't talented enough to make up for the fact that they're not defensively capable. Um, And to go on next, we'll end, up at, we'll end with Houston in the West. Houston's a very interesting case for me, I think, because they're so heavily reliant on their future draft picks being and them hitting on their draft picks. I said this with the Thunder, but the Thunder are less of a case. The Thunder have talent right now. They have SGA. They have Lou Dort. Houston has that to a lesser degree. They have Jay Sean Tate and Kevin Porter Jr., two guys that have shown a lot of promise, but they could have had Caris LeVert and Jared Allen, man. They gave up Jared Allen for a damn second-round pick, and they gave up Caris LeVert for Victor Oladipo, guys that doesn't want to be there. It kind of seems like like... Houston's in a weird spot cuz they have bad contracts and not a lot of young talent, but they have a buttload of first round picks that may not be worth a lot. So if Houston can't hit with their own picks, yeah, maybe the 2026 and 2027 Brooklyn first round picks are valuable, but if you end up with two valuable first round picks for James Harden, I think that's a huge loss. And and this already James Harden trade is starting to look like a, they really fumbled the bag on it. Houston's a very interesting case to me. Um because they, they they have a direction, obviously, but they're not setting themselves up well. They're, they're relying too much on the fact that they will um, hit on their draft picks. And that's never good. You need to have at least two things, you know. It's good to, you know, trust your your drafting, but I think that it's important that you try to at least have some sort of competition while doing that. Develop something while doing it. We'll see. We'll see where they end up in the draft order this year. I think it will have a huge impact on how they are successful. To move on to the East, Bulls have a very bright future in terms of being playoff contenders. Um, I think they're going to fully sell out, get rid of Kobe White, get rid of Larry Markin in this offseason, and um, try to make a real playoff push to prove to Zach Levine that they are competitive and want to be competitive and want to make him resign. So we'll see how that goes. Toronto, on the other hand, Toronto's weird because... They're going to enter their full rebuild next season. They're going to get rid of Kyle Lowry. They're going to fully invest in Fred Van Fleet, Ogie Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Chris Boucher, um, Gary Trent Jr. But they have like an older young core. Like Pascal Siakam is older than you would want. Um, Fred Van Fleet is older than you would want. And it... I think there is a certain ceiling on this Toronto team. I think this Toronto team could end up in you know two or three years from now be a really scrappy four or five seed that is giving some teams a headache in a seven-game series. Maybe they're not winning a title, but they would be an attractive free agent destination to a superstar a superstar like Kawhi that can come in and now he has an amazing supporting cast around him and all of a sudden we're winning a championship together. Um, similar to what they did. Uh, I just think that they are a couple pieces away and a couple of player developments away from being a a really scrappy team that that will give teams some run and will be one of those teams that you know going into it you can beat them, but you don't want to give them any sort of breathing room because you know they'll kick your ass if you give them the chance. Next up would be Cleveland. I'm a huge fan of sex land. Um, I think there's a pretty low ceiling on it, though, because I don't think like Damon CJ have a ceiling. I don't think Damon CJ are going to be championship contenders. And I remember on draft night when they drafted Darius Garland and everyone was kind of like, what the hell are you doing? And they were and Woj was on ESPN. He said they want to do a Damon CJ thing. And it was like, why would you model your future after a team that has been mediocre? It kind of makes no sense. We'll have to see, though. Only time will tell with this Cleveland core because Jared Allen looks really good for them. Jetty Osmond has shown flashes. Isaac Okoro's been already a really good defender, and hopefully his offensive game will start to to really improve. Um, Cleveland has a good future. I would be excited if I'm a Cavs fan, but I would be, um, you know, I think... What's the word I'm looking for? Hold on. I would be like... Calculated. I would be more calculated in my excitement because I think that there is a low ceiling on this Cleveland team. I don't think a, two small guards in a backcourt can lead you to a championship. Um, Detroit. I'm excited about Detroit's future. Uh, there was a tweet. I think it was from Dom2K that said, Kate Cunningham and Jeremy Grant will save Detroit. And I kind of believe that. I If any team to get the first pick, I want it to be Detroit. And I know that's weird because I was really high on Killian Hayes. I still am. He's played pretty well. I would love to see Kay Cunningham next to Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, uh, Beef Stew. I think that would be a really fun and exciting team. So I think Detroit's future is starting to look brighter day by day because Detroit is no longer a pushover team. If you don't you know, get your shit together playing Detroit, they will beat you. I can tell you that firsthand. And last up is Orlando. Orlando is not looking bad. Cole Anthony looks like he can have some potential. RJ Hampton looks like he can have some potential. Unfortunately for Mobamba, Wendell Carter has been a demon there. And hopefully um, this magic rebuild can go better than their past one did um, after the Dwight Howard era. Hopefully they're more than just a second round exit or um, a first round exit every year. Only time will tell with that though, but like I think Orlando is in a a good position considering the circumstances that they were given, where they literally had a fire sale to trade deadline. But I think a couple more years and we'll be able to really tell what Orlando's future is going to look like because it all depends where they are. And yeah, in a couple of years, I think we'll be able to tell where Orlando's at because draft picks will gauge where they are. Orlando's one of those teams that doesn't really hit on their draft picks. Man hasn't really hit on that draft picks. Drafting Mo Bambos. Even at the time, was a really weird selection, and John Isaac has a lot of potential, but he has been injured, you know? There are certain misses that really hurt franchises, you know? But we time only tells Orlando. First of all, before I get to the last segment, I talk about the Brooklyn Nets, the... It's weird. The bas- On Basketball Reference, they have playoff probabilities. So Philly has a 47% chance of getting the first seed, a 24% chance of making the finals, and an 8% chance of winning the finals. But this is funny as hell. This is going to make some people laugh. In the West, Utah has an 80% chance of making the one seed, a 48% chance of making the finals, and a 36% chance of making the finals. Oh my god! Oh my basketball reference is a bunch of casuals. Hilarious! This is what these stat heads be talking about. This is field goal percentage Twitter at its finest. But the last thing I wanted to talk about is today. I had a back and forth. It wasn't even like an argument. It was more of like a a, a discussion because someone tweeted, um, "Who has the most like misunderstood or disrespected legacy right now in the league?" And one of my friends, Colin, he commented on the t- or replied to the tweet and he said James Harden. And I said, "How so?" And he said that James Harden is um, like a, a pioneer of basketball in this era. Hold on. Let me pull up the exact tweet. Here. Let me pull up the thread. I, he said, James Harden, I said, care to explain? He said, he's a god and people hate that he's a cheeser when he's just an icon of today's style. And I replied to that by saying, I think he's a perverted version of today's style also doesn't have a great playoff reputation. I think history will be a lot kinder to James Harden than we are to him right now. And Colin said it's all up to this year. And that, I'm not even going to talk about that back and forth because I'm not like angry about anything he said or anything I said, but I thought that was an interesting um, tidbit to talk about because what does Annette's finals win do for these players' legacies? What the fuck does it do for Blake Griffin's legacy? I don't think it does much. Does it push him to the Hall of Fame? Maybe, but not really in my opinion. Kevin Durant. If you don't respect Kevin Durant's rings, I don't think winning this one in Brooklyn will suddenly make you respect Kevin Durant's rings. It certainly won't make me respect his rings. James Harden. Like, this ring is not one that will hold a lot of respect if they win it. But if they lose, then you're going to get a lot of shit for losing. The, the The Nets are in a lose-lose situation here, as most super teams are. The Warriors were in it. Where if you win the finals, it's, oh, you have a super team. You're supposed to fucking win the finals. And if you lose, it's, oh, you suck. Kevin Durant, you can't even win with a super team. You know? So we will have to, I just think it's interesting because I don't think Kyrie Irving's legacy is much affected by this. We know who Kyrie Irving is. This isn't changing anything about him. Kevin Durant, we know who he is, and this doesn't really change any of his detractors' opinions. I think the 2016 finals changed a lot of detractors' opinions about LeBron James, and that's why it was such a significant championship. I don't think that this championship has a lot of weight to the Brooklyn Nets. Now, if I were to talk about if it has weight to the... Lakers or the Clippers or anybody, this championship has some of the most weight. If a team beats the Nets, if the Nets win the championship, it has no weight to any of their players' legacies, and I just found that very interesting, right? Because we tend to think this championships is something that changes legacies, especially James Harden is going to get his first championship if they win, but I don't think it affects his legacy that much because he's no longer the lead guy. He's not the best player on his team. He's. When the the big three are out there, he's the third option. He's the Chris Bosh. And I'm not saying he's not not as good as, he's like not on the level of Chris Bosh. Obviously, James Harden being the third option, averaging 25 and 18 is much better than Chris Bosh was in Miami in 2013 and 14. But like the point stands that he is accepting the role as the third best player on the team. It doesn't mean that he's actually the third best player, but it means that he's getting the shots and the looks of the third best player. So I think that it doesn't push the needle for any of their legacies, which is really interesting because I guess the same thing kind of happened with the Warriors. It didn't really push the needle with any of their legacies, and we can look back and call Steph a three-time champion, but those rings, Steph's rings, uh, the validity of Steph's rings are a discussion that I really like to have because there is a point to be made that there is not a lot of validity for his rings, but regardless – the last thing I wanted to talk about is a quote that I was just sitting around and I thought of. And I it, it, it basically goes along the lines of, the worst thing that can happen to the NBA is the Brooklyn Nets not winning a championship this year. That's the worst thing that can happen to the NBA. Now, let me explain. My perfect example is the 2016 Warriors. Kevin Durant said that if the Warriors won that championship, he's not going there because he can't justify that. They just won the best regular season in history and they won the championship. How do you justify going there? But because they lost the title to LeBron, he could justify going there because they hadn't won the championship that he wasn't joining the champions, so why not go there? And that's my mentality, right? There are certain role players that have that that pride, right? They will go to an LA or a a a, a Philly or um even like a Denver to try and win a championship if the Nets win a title this year. But I think players will find it justifiable to go to Brooklyn even um, to go to Brooklyn if they do not win a title because, hey, they didn't win the championship. They're not champions, so it's not that bad that I'm going there. So that's what I meant by that because I think that I, I've always said that the Nets won't win a championship next year, but they'll dominate the next that year, two years after because role players will start to go to Brooklyn this offseason. But I think that Brooklyn will have a really stacked team only if they lose the finals this year or don't make it to the finals. If they don't make it to the finals, we're all screwed because then it's, they didn't even make it out of the East. Why can't you know I go there as a free agent to help them win a title? Because they can't even win their own conference. You know, it's that mentality. And we're not we're not in good shape in terms of the NBA in parity for the next three or four years if the Nets lose a championship this year. Now, if the Nets win a ring, I don't know if they improve that much over the offseason, genuinely, because I don't think players will want to join that and hop on that bandwagon. I think that they would want to join an LA or join a Denver or join a Clippers or join a Philly and try to, or join a Milwaukee even and try and beat these guys. Um, yeah, I think next episode I will talk about competitors' um, outlooks for the future because some of these teams have really bad outlooks. Brooklyn has a bad outlook, I think. Milwaukee does, and U- um, and not Utah. The Clippers do. So will a lot of the competitive teams right now have a very interesting outlook on their future. So I think I will talk about that next episode. But that's, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Again, sorry for the weird parts of the podcast where shit cuts off or it doesn't. Um but thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, make sure to like it. Um tweet at me at the three D podcast if there's something you want me to talk about. But thank you so much for listening. Peace.